Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm recording this intro on a snowy Prescott evening here in the winter of 2023. And I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt Scott, and we look back on the year 2023. We talk about the family that we awarded our Overlander of the Year to. We also discuss what we view as being the new Overland vehicle of 2023. Matt and I also go through our list of our favorite gear from the year. We also spend some time talking about some new products from family-run businesses. We really like to highlight small family businesses on the podcast, so we've got a, a couple great ones from there. We also talk about a couple questions from our listeners, and uh, we really look forward to our travels for 2024. So we talk a little bit about that as well. So 2023 was an amazing and interesting year, and we look back on the adventures from the last 12 months. And a special thanks to Kuat Racks for their support of this week's podcast. Their new Ibex has landed. It's actually overlanded. This groundbreaking bed rack is effortlessly handling substantial loads both on and off the grid. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, it boasts a ballistic black powder coat made for all the nature you can throw at it. It's available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, and it's equipped with telescoping crossbars. Numerous T-channels and a versatile full and half height configuration right out of the box. This is the Ibex from Kuat. It is engineered for adventure. For more details, please visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bed rack. So Matt, 2023 came to an end. We may, may may have learned a couple things along the way. We yeah, talk it, was, about, it was an interesting year, that. right? I mean, it was kind of this first year that everything felt normal-ish. Yeah. Still dealing with, I think as travelers, still dealing with the consequences of the whole pandemic thing. But sure, it's better now. Yeah, and even some of the countries that I was traveling through were finally not requiring... It was a PCR test and everything. It was a pain to travel when you had to do that. It was difficult. And it was, I think it was, for me, it was always just like this fear that you were going to get stuck. Yeah. Where you'd be in Italy, some beautiful place, but you're actually stuck in a hotel for two weeks. Yeah. Just so you could And the cost of that, you know, super unpredictable. Yeah, it was really unpredictable. So it's nice to see a lot of that behind us. Yeah. But then there's new dynamics entering the world. So like even... Right now, me trying to get this Grenadier into Djibouti and get and get it shipped to Europe. Oh yeah, because the so whole Red Sea thing. It's with the, on the Red Sea, so the it's Houthi rebels. Yes. which just sounds like something from Star Wars. <laughs> it like does. it does, it does. Which is kind of, I don't know, not to make light of it, but I'm gonna find some joy in the world right now. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, I'm gonna figure it out, but it's challenging. Like it's difficult to. Yeah. To figure out those those challenges when the uh, you know when the world makes such a change like that such a big shift. But there's so. a lot of good there's a lot of good this year. I think um, a lot of you know inspiring people getting out back yep. to their travels, which was cool. We're going to talk right. about some of those people. Um, also, just a lot of new vehicles that 
either were announced this year that were are quite significant or vehicles that started being delivered this yep. year. Yep. Um, you know, we say it all the time, but who would have thought in, well, now 2024, that we would have companies actually making vehicles for this, um, this pursuit of overlanding. Well, and we kind of learned that from Dave when we had just had Dave Harriton on the podcast recently. So those who want to listen, check yeah, that, that out. Really good one. Yeah, it was a really good one, but it was, it was an important kind of reminder that even if the OEMs see this big opportunity with overlanding, that it takes a while for them yeah. to be able to adjust. So to see the shift from what is the last of the GX 460s to what is going to be the GX 550. And they listened. It's a great looking car. Oh my gosh. I mean, not only does it, it's finally a GX that looks great again. Yeah. Uh, but it's also going to be more capable than ever before. Locking differential, like just a lot about it yeah, is going to be great. Yeah, the GX has always been one of, if not, you know, the best platform in it the was US. One of the, it was one of the best, um, the right for sure. size. You know, the 200, no disrespect to it, um, very durable, mm -hmm. but... Um, bloated. Yeah. And the, the you GX, had to pay a lot for that extra durability. Yeah. And I, I just, I, the 150 Prado that yep. that's based on, it's pretty, pretty comparable for 99% of use in its own right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We have Grenadier that finally came to market, which I think is just so cool. I think just the story behind that car is great. I, I love the way it looks. Um, you've obviously spent a bunch of time in it. Um, and new Land Cruiser, you know, like that nameplate's actually coming back to the U.S. Yep. Because it's interesting that, you know, again, to go back to the 200, you know, I think, was it 21 was the last year for mm -hmm. the 200 in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we've been Land Cruiserless for the first time in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a reason for that. Like, it, it did not sell. It did not really translate to the U.S. market. I mean... For all intents and purposes, they're about a hundred grand, yeah. And you can get a lot more vehicle f for the money. Um, you know, they're they're simple in, in their execution of it of, of of how it was made, but just behind the times. I mean, like pick an obscure Ferrari, and they sold more of those than they did two hundred series Land Cruisers. So right. clearly, the consumers were speaking that you know this wasn't you know. Well, and in in most travel in North America, you either. Are you either need something more capable if you want to get really remote or there somebody wants something more luxurious for the price. Yeah. So it, it did put it in a weird spot, which is why they sold so many more Lexus variants yeah, yeah. than they did the Land Cruiser variants. Cause the Lexus they were basically the same money at that point when we were talking, I, very similar, like maybe it was 5% difference. Yeah. Very um, similar. And the Lexus nameplate had the cachet and then it had an air ride suspension system and it yeah. had some additional luxuries that, I think resonated better with the consumer, but it's really exciting to see the Land Cruiser coming back yeah. in this highly it looks good too, highly like, capable format. Um, you know, Toyota and Lexus, they either like knock it out of the park with styling, yeah, or they uh, do some questionable things. <laughs> yeah, they and yeah, and if you look at the new you, GX, you love it, looks it or great. hate it. Yeah, if you look uh, at the new GX, it's great. If you look at the new Land Cruiser, it looks great. I, I agree. Um, I think it's cool they're doing that kind of heritage pack with the round lights. Totally. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting time to uh, to be into this hobby and um, and the lineup 
just continues from there. If you look at the new stuff coming out from GM with all the AEV packages, yeah, GM is like more more so than anyone taking it really serious. And yeah, they know. care. They really care about addressing the needs of overland travelers. I'm I've never been a GM guy ever. Like it, it was just a brand that never really appealed to me. I was always like my daddy was a Ford man kind yep. of thing, you know. And there is that tribalism with it, but. If I was to go buy a new pickup truck right now, it would be the 2500 AEV yeah. Bison. I think that's what they're calling it. Um, it's phenomenal. Drove that recently, and it's so quiet inside, and it's so comfortable. And Great motor, 10-speed automatic, like, re- rear-locking differential, multi-matic. So many miles on it. You yep. can just go. and it still has a 2,600-pound payload. So, yeah, it is kind of a sweet spot. Which now. is so significant because um, when you look at a lot of these full-size trucks, they don't actually have that much payload. Yeah, they really get um, hammered you on know, payload. Like, I think that my prospector, now granted this is after bumpers, winch, and everything, and it's recertified. I, I think that that had like 1,500 pounds, yeah. 1,600 pounds, and you can get that now in a, the new Tacoma is yeah. also being delivered, which you know we have to make sure that we mention. The Tacoma doesn't suck anymore. Yeah. Um, on the payload side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let me let me uh, let me clarify that the Tacoma has never sucked. It's always been a, a a very solid choice. It just wasn't as good as it could be. Yeah. And I think again, they recognized that. You know, it's got a great little that two point four turbo that they're putting in it, mild hybrid, which I think is cool, um, particularly because if Toyota is doing it, it's likely gonna be a proven system. Mm-hmm. It's not the newest technology. I think it's still like a nickel metal hydride battery. They do use that in the Um, trucks, yeah. But uh, it looks great, available with a manual transmission. And you had some sweet spot with it that you would choose. It was like the, the, whatever they called it, like the not. They have like an an extra cab, which doesn't actually have any seats. So it's like a spot for a fridge or you can put your dog back there or whatever. And then you end up with like the 1,700 pound payload. Which you can and a, man, and a manual transmission. I mean, could you put one of those little scout camp? You could put one of those little scout campers totally. in it all day long. I yeah, mean, all day long. You know, be a nice little combo. Yeah, I mean, I, and then and then you look at like the new, you look at the new uh, Bison, you know, ZR2 Colorado. I mean, that crazy. thing is insane. Like, it it's thirty fives. If you think Jounces, that you like, want a Raptor not, for overlanding, yeah. which, hey, I've done that. It's a great, the Raptor's a great truck out of the box. This is actually like what you want. It's the appropriate size, right? you know, little larger wheel arches so that the body naturally then becomes a little bit more sucked in for, right. the, for the track width. Uh, very, very cool car. Front and rear. Lockers. Lockers. Yeah. Uh, four corner Multimatic, four corner yeah. hydraulic Jounces. It's... It, yeah, factory 35s, it's nuts. Well, it, it, it kind of almost starts to beg this question on how necessary some of the aftermarket is. And, mm. you know, maybe... That'll be the that'll be the hard part for the you aftermarket. Know, you, you end up having styling choices that mm-hmm. people will, will want to modify their cars just to, you know, display their personality. Um, and then you'll have people that, you know, won't maybe throw down for the... Using the Colorado, they won't throw down for the Bison, but... Having built a lot of these trucks, um, particularly in the world that we live in, which is one based on monthly payment number and finance, uh, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't like it's, it's, 
it's such a pain to build trucks these days. And, and a car loan rate is going to be better than a credit card rate. So, yeah. And you're not going to have to spend the time. You're not going to have to go to a shop. You're not going to have to take it back when they don't do it right. It's just, and it's all under even, warranty. And even the best shops, like, uh, you know, I, I, in 2023, I sold my Prospector, which I do have regrets on. Um, though I did replace it with something that was also four-wheel drive and fun. Um, it was just done and I was able to enjoy it and yeah. it, you know, and I had it for a little over a year and I was able to enjoy it for a year. Um, you know, previously to that, I had the gladiator, which I didn't buy as an AEV truck cause I had one of the first ones, mm-hmm. but it, all the AEV stuff got put on and collectively, uh, maybe, gee, I had that car for a little bit, like over two years. Yeah, that's, a, that's, sure. a, that's a bit in Matt Scott world. It is yeah. vehicle. ADD. <laughs> yeah. Um, Collectively, that that vehicle was in the shop for months. Yeah, getting you know, okay, this part came out. I have to upfit this. I have to upfit this. Um, you know, shops were really busy. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, but you just get this time back, and I think that that's that's really what I think we're starting to see in in twenty three, where these factory overlanders, um, Grenadier has to be mentioned. I mean, you can, you know, you can get your roof rack. You can get. All of it, all of snorkel, snorkel, like everything, steel dual wheel, battery, steel system. wheels, dual battery, everything. And and you know, and the cool thing is, you're not paying for this stuff twice because when you, if you're going to buy a vehicle and then straight off the bat you're going to put wheels and tires on it, you're buying two sets of wheels and tires. Mm-hmm. You know, you're never, you know, tires don't appreciate. Yeah, they depreciate quite rapidly. Even yeah, they do. They're newish um, to try and resell them. So yeah, it's it's. It's been so cool, I think, you know, putting like the automotive journalist hat on to just see where the industry is going. So, and you know, if GM's doing it and, you know, Jeep's starting to do it with they the are. AEV upfits. And I mean, Jeep was kind of, I guess, somewhat early on with steel bumpers and, and that kind of stuff. But Well, what's really nice to see, though, is like the most recent versions of the Wrangler they have full floating rear axles now which there are Wranglers now that have a 5,000 pound towing capacity yeah. which is the first time I've ever seen significant that. and some of them have you know almost 1,500 pounds of payload so the Wranglers getting better than it I mean everything's just getting better than it ever has been so um, yeah it no longer is valid when you think of like the 1990s were the pinnacle of overland vehicles yeah like I've owned a lot of those cars yeah I used to have a line of them behind you here. Yep. And I can tell you that most of these modern vehicles are better. I They're just better. I, I love that kind of 90s era. I was born in 1990, and that those were the cars that I kind of grew up with. Yeah. And, and I've been a car nut my entire life. Um, using like the 80 Series Land Cruiser, for example. Very nostalgic. Had one when I was in, had a really rusty bad one when I was in college. Yeah, but then you had the Disco One. You had all I those. I had a Disco One. I had all these things. One, the fuel costs on them um, right there is, yeah. if we're thinking of it as a monthly payment or whatever, or let's think of it um, through the eyes of a traveler. Um, you can you can get a vehicle that gets twice the fuel economy. Oh, now. yeah. And that is the, those are the expenses that really affect you while you're on the road. The 4xe Wrangler I've been driving right now, if you look at the average miles per gallon, 28.7. Yeah, that's insane. It's insane. Like in a, a rank in a Wrangler. A, a built a built 80 would struggle to get 10. Yeah, exactly. And I So it's it, almost three times more. Yeah. So that's pretty um, that's pretty amazing. You know, and you can get that 
from AEV turnkey done. Yeah. At yeah, I really like I really like the plug-in hybrid concept. I mean, um, it's easy to get into this debate on EVs, which I think mm. is somewhat foolish because there are EVs work for some people and they don't work for yeah. others. And you just look at it as simply as that. But the plug-in hybrid is really the sweet spot because mm. like at the last couple of days, I've been driving this 4xe around and I'm using no fuel because I just plug it in at the office yeah. and it's a seven minute commute to my house. Perfect. And, they have, and like, they have what, like a 25? 25 mile range. Yeah. So, e and even if you put big tires on it and put some stuff on it for overlanding, the vehicle would still be able to go back and forth to my house without the, the electric motors don't drop. The rolling resistance is, is of concern yeah, with the electric stuff. For sure. Like I, I bought a model Y this year as my dishwasher car. It just, it does all the things. It does all the things really well. And it's, uh, for how fast it is, uh, I'm going to say affordable, um, faster than my AMG wagon that I replaced it with. In my opinion, it's faster, maybe not top speed or whatever, but, um, you can put, there's a company that actually does like a lift kit and a larger, yeah, they look cool. a larger tire. And it's, and it's basically, you go on the forums, it's of basically no consequence to range. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's, it's interesting. And they look cool with yeah. that little lift on there. I think if you just do it tastefully, just a little bit, yeah. I mean, it just I, makes it look different. It's just higher that I have to lift my Greyhound. So I do it. But, um, we are seeing some cool, you know, overlandy EVs, you know, there's oh, yeah, the, for sure. the, the, the Hummer truck looks hideous. The Hummer SUV doesn't look as bad. Correct. It looks, it looks a lot more um, stylish and yeah, handsome. The interior is still, um, well, it's for, it seems like it was designed for somebody who liked the H2. Mm -hmm. Um, Heavily inspired. Yeah, which when you have maybe one of the coolest four-wheel drives ever made to pull inspiration from, hmm, maybe a mistake. Moving on. Uh, but the Rivian stuff is like super cool. Very elegant. I think. Yeah. Really elegant. Um, you know, they are, you know, they, they added, I think in 23, they added a, like a, like a leveling mode for their air suspension. Yeah. So, so it has camp, tent. has camp mode. Yeah. So it keeps the power outlets on. It levels the vehicle for the so roof tent. Cool. So it's you can do a lot with software. And they also launched a dual motor variant. They launched launched an extended battery pack variant. Yeah. So they're they're continuing to put pressure on innovation, yeah. which I think is a really good thing. Um, I, you know, I really hope that they're successful because Rivian. I mean, it is the overland of EVs um, because they've really made sure that it worked well off road, and it has. A reasonable range so yeah and then you know they did start deliveries in 23 on the cyber truck yep um i had a really really early reservation and actually like i think december 30th mine came up hey you can you can select everything get one of the limited edition first ones i i decided not to i think I'm just not convinced. I think it's it's uh, any of the footage that I've seen of it off road. It looks very poor in performance. Yeah. Um, it would be nice to get access to one. So anyone that's listening that has a Cybertruck, we would love it if you would reach out because yeah. uh, we would love to actually test the thing properly. It's it's got to be a challenge because they have to have low rolling resistance tires, mm -hmm. and then there's so much torque that yeah. has to be. A, appropriately modulated right and then there's this weight so when you have no traction and a lot of weight to try and get up 
a hill, mm -hmm. I think it's a struggle. Um, the, the car in terms of ground clearance and uh, uh, all of those kind of metrics is decent. Um, but then they, then again, though, the, the Hummer EV yeah, doesn't struggle and it yeah. doesn't struggle Yeah, in the areas that I've seen and, and is that, the Cybertrucks struggle. Is that because tire choice maybe? I think it's probably just, in my experience, what I've seen is Tesla is quite insulary, which means that they develop innovations that nobody expects and look yeah. amazing and are amazing. And they've been very successful with that. But I think it's, it can also hurt them mm -hmm. because it's very obvious that it wasn't designed by people who actually yeah. travel in technical terrain. So it doesn't I think the, seem to respond properly. The cool properly. thing I've learned about Tesla having, well now driving one almost every day, is there's constantly these updates over mm -hmm. the air and they're free and you don't yeah. have to go and into it, the dealer. They'll fix a lot of that stuff and, probably and I, with and, an update. And I hope, you know, I mean, I, I, I was watching Jay Leno's Garage and they had that, Franz, the designer and the engineer, and I think that Tesla makes five vehicles now, and I think that all five of them are in the well. They they occupy the top five of the most American-made vehicles percentage-wise. Oh wow! And I think that that's really cool. Um, I do think that uh, the the thing that Ford, Chevy, GM, uh, Dodge, like everybody is behind the ball on the EV thing and the common enemy is Tesla. Yeah. But I think it is important to realize that they're the most innovative car company in the world right now. They are American. They are American made. Yeah. Um, the best selling crossover and SUV in Europe is an American car. Yeah. And Model that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. I think that that's cool. I think it's important. I think it's important. And I, I hope to see, you know, continued innovation. I think that the Cybertruck has, potential so hopefully we get to drive one at some point love soon. it or hate it styling wise but yeah i don't i wouldn't even talk about it because it's so it's it to me it doesn't look handsome it doesn't look i elegant. just think it would trigger people <laughs> and that's that's the yeah appeal. <laughs> yeah but that's the problem is buying something that is so triggering to people's responses like you probably wouldn't enjoy driving it after about three weeks because you'd be tired of the conversation people do um treat electric cars a little differently on the road. They do. Particularly living in a small town. Um, yeah. The amount of times that I get, you know, roll cut up. Coal roll. rolled on you. I want, I, want, I want to get, yeah, exactly. Or they cut you off or they just drive really aggressively around you. Yeah. And particularly it's guys in older diesel trucks. And I want to have a license plate for them. It's like, or a sticker. It's okay. My other car is a 7.3 Power Stroke. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm one of you. I have a pickup truck on 41 inch military tires, dude. <laughs> That's right. Like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. Interesting year for cars. Definitely. And interesting to see where it will go. You know, we've yet to really see Ford's response to the whole overlanding thing. You yeah. Know, they, like the tremor is really just like the new F by four package. The Bronco Raptor. I, I like the it. White the sunglasses the, car. the tremor's great. Ride quality is really poor. Yeah. So I hope they work on that. Uh, the new Raptor type R is really impressive yeah great it's suspension. an incredible it's an incredible piece of engineering and it's like it's highly effective in yeah. most terrain um it's violently fast in fact it encourages higher speed like the mm -hmm. thing i liked about the trx more is that you could enjoy driving the trx at like reasonable speeds where you don't kill old people on on yeah. dirt roads uh, whereas the raptor r only got good at like 
the slaughter families speeds. Yeah. I mean, um, the, so. the Raptor has always been really capable. I, I had this conversation with a lot of car guys on, you know, you, you sit around, you have a few beers and if you could only drive one car, and I think for a lot of people, the right answer is the Raptor. Cause mm. it's like a sports car. Oh yeah. But it can do anything. Yeah. And now it has like a 1500 pound payload and yeah, the payload was up and I took it on our most difficult four wheel drive route where it would fit yeah. of the testing routes that we did. And it, it had no issues. Whereas other vehicles like even the 1500 Sierra AEV was like, I had to really drive that truck to get yeah. through there and even take some different lines. Cause it was high centering on spots that the Raptor like did not care because yeah. the Raptor's on 37s. Whereas the 1500 is on basically a 33. So yeah. it's a huge difference in tire size. Mm. Yeah. The Raptors, the, the Raptor impressed me genuinely. Yeah, and I think the Raptor me. R was new in 20. It was 23. Well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's talk about some of the awards for the year. So just recently on expedition portal, we announced the overlander of the year award, which went to, uh, Mally Mish, yeah, which such that's a sweet family. That's a really sweet family. You and I interviewed them yeah, a couple ago. years ago at the Overland Expo. And the reason why they, there are many reasons why they receive this award, but th one of the most important things is that we just want to continue to reinforce that overlanding is accessible to families. And this family is traveling around the world and they have been traveling around the world for a very long Some time. time. Yeah. For a very long time so i think it's just really important and there are many examples of similar families that are out there doing it so follow those kinds of accounts if you have kids and you aspire to do overland travel or you maybe you think it's going to be a challenge or there might be some problems i bet that those folks can really help you overcome those fears so i, I would just really um encourage families to continue to travel yeah um, show your kids these places in the world. I've never had kids. So like when I get to travel with my nephews, to me, it's like such a joy and I can't wait to do more of that. Yeah. So it's, it's really neat to see families like Mally Mish doing that. So the, follow them on Instagram. Um, I think it's just Mally.mish. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what it is. And then there's been some other, some other uh, travelers that have really impressed us in the last year. Um, you were talking about Richard and Ashley. What were some of the thoughts yeah, you had around Desk that? to Glory. I mean, one, they're just, again, incredibly sweet people. But, uh, you know, I think that overlanders get kind of stuck on these routes. You know, Richard and Ashley have already done Pan American Highway. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's the Pan American Highway, then there's kind of like the Africa thing. And there's so many other places in the world. To me, overlanding is about culture and experiences. Yeah. And, you know, camping thrown in and, and a little bit of off-road driving. And they've been in Europe for, geez, almost, have they been there for a year now? They were in UK for some time. They were in and out. So they yeah. went down to South Africa. Like they were in South Africa when I was taking delivery of the Grenadier. So I, yeah, I saw them in South Africa in June. They were down there with X Overland. That's yeah. right. And then they also had done some traveling with X Overland in the previous series in the Nordic series. So they had been traveling in, in Norway, Finland, and to Iceland. So they had done a bunch of traveling in Europe there. And then I think they took every last moment of their Schengen 
yeah. visa <laughs> well, that they, they could. Sp- like I, I was Portugal and Spain. Spain. Yeah, so like, good. The food is just like insane, and they were like getting some great camping and some of the the the. I don't, I don't want to say that I don't know anything about Spain, but it actually surprises me how similar Spain is in a lot of ways to Arizona. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, like there's some deserty areas, there's some mountainy areas. It's um, the same like Arizona. In the north is the Pyrenees. Yeah. So that's like our flagstaff. Yep. And then in the south, it's desert. Yeah. There, it's and it gets even more so desert in Portugal. And it's cool to see people camping and um, kind of doing that wild camping thing in, yeah. in Europe because that's very uncommon. Yeah. You know, you just don't really see many um, North American overlanders doing that stuff. Yeah. And I think that it's uh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. there's, yeah. there's museums and really good restaurants and stuff yeah great wine like just so many things to, exper- to, exper- to experience yeah. and enjoy and Richard and Ashley have done a really good job of finding a way to have a job while they're traveling full time and when I just interviewed Ashley recently about some of her travels she, she just really focused on they don't have a return date like they've been able to figure that out between the truck that they have and the camper that they have and the and the jobs that they have like they you know Ashley works you know almost full time with us and she's one of the co-hosts of the podcast so between the two of them they yeah. found a way to stay busy that allows them to stay on the road which is very cool yeah and they're just good people amazing people and then i was also super impressed by um two ladies that are riding a motorcycle down west africa uh, they did the entire West African route, itchy boots, and like they got in it. I mean, th- their videos are raw and inspiring. West Africa's tough. It is tough, and uh, it, just check them out. I mean, really neat stories and 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 visuals that they've captured of their experience, a very raw, genuine travel experience that they've had. I just really impressed by that, and it you know, it inspires me yeah. too. So Man, it's neat to bike see. Bike down West Africa would be uh, hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it's just very cool. I've become way too soft. For that. <laughs> yeah, but you could, you could do it if you, if you wanted to, and not everybody has to, but it was, for me, it was neat to see him accomplish that. Uh, and it definitely makes me think of motorcycle West Africa at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, while I'm, you know, still able to do that. So, and then let's talk a little bit about the 2023 four-wheel drive vehicle of the year. So that when we talk about a vehicle of the year award, it is always going to go to uh, something that was newly launched within the calendar year. Um, otherwise, you just end up, you could end up like years past, you'd end up with the 200 series every year yeah. or something, which is kind of boring. Um, but there's a lot of competition now. And there's no question in my mind, especially with the time that I've had with it, that uh, the 2023 Overland Vehicle of the Year is the Grenadier. Mm -hmm. And it's available internationally. It was designed um, at the request of, you know, Sir Jim Radcliffe, who is an overlander just like the rest of us. He does it. He does the things, rides motorcycles across Africa and everything else. And he wanted to build basically the vehicle that he felt like he lost, which was the Defender. Um, He wanted to build something that he thought was better even than that. And in many ways it is. So 
the best way that I can describe uh, the Grenadier after now 20,000 kilometers in the vehicle in Europe and in the United States and in Africa now is that if you if you took a G-Wagon and a Defender and a 70 series Land Cruiser and they all kind of had a love child, <laughs> you'd end up you'd end up with the Grenadier because it does have all of the best of those things. And the thing that was a big unknown for us was if the vehicle was going to be reliable. Because yeah. something that looks like a Defender makes you immediately recoil and think, is it going to be as reliable as a Defender? And is English. Yeah. But they they brought things to Germans too. That's right. So they, they, they commissioned the Austrians to design the thing. Oh, yeah, Austrians. In, in, in Graz. So that's the same group that designed the G-Wagon and does design the recent updates to the G-Wagon, a bunch of other vehicles, including military vehicles. Fiat Panda 4x4. There you go, which is well-known and regarded. Uh, So a highly capable engineering team, obviously designed in the UK. uh, So it looks great, and it's got a a great interior. Yeah. So not a traditional automotive designer. Um, And And a great interior. Little little thoughtful things, like little toot horn. Yeah. I use it all the time in Africa because yeah. a lot of times you're just letting people know that you're there or you, you know, somebody's kind of wavering on the street. It's a fairly quiet car. So it's nice to kind of let people know yeah. that you're there. So I use the toot all the time. And then because it has the toot horn, the regular horn is much louder. Mm. So you kind of get the best of both. Okay. It's like, yeah, yeah. I really need you to know that I'm here or just, it's like a very hey. respectful, hey. gentle. Hey. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So for the 2023 Overland Vehicle of the Year, it goes to the Grenadier. They're delivering in the United States now. I've got a bunch of friends that have already taken delivery of them. Um, we've yeah, been... it was like at end of December. <laughs> it was like, like 10 people I know got there. Yeah. And I was a little... I had a little FOMO. <laughs> yeah, because you had one on order. I did, you, you I did, a, but but you'd have you have pl- Matt has plenty of cars, so yeah, I can yeah. see why you don't. So th- there really wasn't anything that was a close second because the Grenadier is so significant. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's it's the only vehicle that we get in North America that was made specifically for us. Like it's literally, it's not meant even for like a soccer mom, although I'm sure there are plenty of soccer moms that like the car was literally made to drive around the world. I, so. I actually think there was a close second, the, the new 911 Dakar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tell me about that. Oh, I, I think it's based on like a GTS, but it's just basically, it's a lifted 911. And this whole Safari 911 thing has been, I mean, it dates back to rallying these things in the oh, yeah. 60s, Big you time. know, and kind of building a 1960s rally 911 as well. And, uh, this Dakar, I mean, it has like proper recovery points in the front and all-terrain tire. And I have a bunch of friends that that also bought those, and uh, they're beating the, they're beating the heck out of them, and they're really? just having fun with them. And wow, you know, they they have a roof rack with like some jerry cans on top and some recovery boards, and it's uh, full, full skid plates. This is not a serious answer. I'm just why not though? But, like, how cool is that? But if there was a car right now, new anything on the market that I could get to, you know, to, to drive around the world, drive South. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. It would be that one. Well, there you go. So, and I would, I would take the Grenadier and yeah. I would just put, the, <laughs> I would put the same few modifications that I yeah. did to the one in Africa and just start heading South. 
because it, it's just well suited for it. it yeah. you know, I've, I've come to like the car. It surprised me. You know, I, I was hoping that it would be great, and it is great. There are very few issues that I've I've come across with it. You know, even the little hump um, on the right-hand drives that, well, I shouldn't say a little hump. There's a big hump on the right-hand drive models, um, like the dead pedal, um, and you get used to that. Like, I don't even notice it Yes, anymore. what's the deal with that? So, I mean, is it a big dead pedal, or is that for the transmission tunnel? Or? Well, there's an exhaust pipe that runs through there. Uh, so but they had preference to left-hand drive. Yeah, so if you get a left-hand drive one, the dead pedal size is much smaller. Okay. Um, and it doesn't feel as intrusive. It, it does seem that people who are new to the vehicle notice it yeah. a lot. Um, but again, after 20,000 kilometers, I don't notice it at all anymore. Yeah, yeah maybe but, it's because of the BMW drivetrain. That's probably just being <clears> straight six. Exhaust I think, manifold has to be on I the right I think that's side. exactly what it is. And already people are trimming out a lot of this plastic flooring and insulation. And that's it's taking a lot of the size of that thing out of there. The downside to that is then you don't have those kind of washout floors. Mm. Um, so, you know, the dead pedal thing is things that something that people are talking about. But they've had a bunch of software updates um, and again, I've not had any mechanical issues. I've had no yeah. fa no failures with that's the vehicle. That's good to know, because that's kind of like... And mine is number 372, I believe. Yeah, so. you're, you're still pre-production, I mean. Yeah, they, they call kinda. it production, but it's okay. like it was they were still hand-building these things at that point. Interesting. But it is a fully homologated UK registerable street-legal yeah. vehicle. Yeah, I mean, I mean to be balanced on the thing, that's, that, that's my, still my biggest concern is I think if you live in a major city... Uh, they have a dealership network. Yeah. But there's, I know, and I know that they're working on it, but, you know, here in Prescott, our closest dealer was in Southern California. Yeah. And or in Utah or in Utah or something. Yeah. Denver, maybe. Um, just a, a considerable distance, like having owned vehicles that I can only yeah. get serviced in, you know, Scottsdale, which is only an hour and a half away. Um, that's, that's, well, that's, even a that's pain. really important to to note and the only thing i can say to that is that it does appear that they're actively developing the network yeah, so yeah. as long as they continue to actively develop the network i think they'll have happy customers if that slows yeah. down i think that they'll have more challenges mm -hmm. so yeah i mean if i'm ever in a position where i don't have to tow i think a grenadier would be in my future yeah i mean it's it's just really worked it's they call it built for africa i mean that, that's one yeah. of their taglines and boy that is absolutely true now that i've driven it across yeah. Africa. So super cool. Yeah. yeah. How's no, so, the, how's the suspension on it? I like it because it's not, if you think about you and I have spent a lot of time in G wagons. So yeah. G wagons have these leading and trailing arm suspension systems. And if, if they are kind of on the road or just on a corrugated road, they're fine. Yeah. But when you really get into a more technical terrain or a lot of, of head toss, the advantage of this five link is pretty significant. So think of it like a heavy duty Jeep Wrangler suspension underneath. Okay. So it's five link long travel. Uh, you know, it has a huge sway bar up front. Somebody's going to address that. Somebody will come up with a disconnect. Yeah. Um, and then it's really going to get a lot of flex. Hmm. Um, so, and the fact that the vehicle is also very wide, it's wider than a G wagon, like the G wagon that you owned, it's wider than that mm. car. So it's actually very like low and stable so it, you don't yeah, you just cool don't end up kind of see the grenadier next to an older g because g's aren't as big as people think that's right that's right yeah 
Yeah, these these are much bigger cars. I, I would call it a midsize, actually. Mm. Um, you know, it's along the lines of like if you've sat in a two hundred series. I mean, it's a okay. big it's a big car, <laughs> which a lot of people. It's hard to see that because when you look at it, you see the form factor of of an early Land Rover. Yeah. So you think it's going to be that size, but it's actually much bigger. <laughs> the center console is big, and you know, there's plenty of room to set your arm on the wind, you know, on the door frame and everything like that. So it's it's a lot more comfortable for sure. All right, so that's our, our 2023 vehicle of the year. So let's talk about moto of the year. And this one is interesting because the, the new BMW is just getting tested now, but they're not delivering the motorcycle yeah. yet. The 1300. <clears throat> the, the 1300, a little bit lighter, a little bit more powerful. Um, a lot of power. Like yeah. You can get a lot of power out of them. Yeah. So that's an interest. I don't know why that's become a thing in the motorcycle space. I think it's actually a little bit foolish numbers to go after the power thing. Uh, I do not see that as being an advantage. Um, you know, most of these adventure bikes, it, once you go into a, an enduro or enduro pro mode, they throttle the, the bike back to hundred horsepower. Yeah, so, just, cause it's uncontrollable. It. It's uncontrollable at the higher, higher horsepower num- numbers, which is why I really like this new segment of midsize, adventure bikes that are coming out and for me the one that people there people are buying them and they're using them and they're not having trouble with them is this new ducati desert x they look really good yeah yeah i mean i'm just a big fan of that form factor like i have a i have a ktm factory dakar bike and it was from the ktm junior team and uh i love it because it's just so like fit for purpose Mm -hmm. and it you know, you have the multiple tanks, you have the saddle tanks that keeps the weight down low. You have all the suspension travel, this upright seating position. Like I was always, we were both big fans of the KTM 950. Right. Great bike. Yeah, there's still one behind yeah, you just, right they're now. Getting, they're just a little long in the tooth. Yeah. You know, they get, the, the dirty secret on those things is they get like 30 miles to the gallon, yeah. which is actually not that great for a motorcycle. It's really bad. And actually. they're really, really high. I mean, they're a race bike, right? Off-road, I was lucky to get 150 miles out of yeah. six gallons. It's, it's, it's a challenge. But this new Ducati has all of that form factor. Yeah. And where like the, the Dakar bike, even though that's like the sexy poster child thing, it's not great for a long term. It's a little bit too light. You know, it's, it's just under 300 pounds in it. Um, gets blown around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. Like you want a little bit of heft. You you don't want a really strung out motor. And these mid-weight bikes, you have to also consider that engines have become a lot more efficient and they've become a lot more powerful yes. for the size of displacement. Correct. So you can have, I believe that's a seven. It's about right at about 800 cc's. 800 cc's, yeah. yeah. And incredibly powerful. Yep. Probably puts out, you know, leader bike or more performance. And oh, yeah. For sure. And less weight. And, yeah, for sure. And they're, they're also just not as complicated. Like a lot of these, you know, you look at the 1300, now you're getting into, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on with that bike or the 1250. And um, I, I think that this, that Ducati just like knocked it out of the park. With well, this and it's also, got, it's also got the, um, the additional, the auxiliary tank that you can put where the rear pillion seat goes. Yeah. So you can end up with about eight gallons of fuel on board. So, um, yeah, so the the Desert X is 930 cc's. Okay. So. so that's actually still a pretty big motor, but... But again, the, the, like the weight is low. I mean, it, it makes, makes plenty of power, makes 112 horsepower. Yeah. So 
it's plenty of power and and i really like it off-road i i rode it in in colorado last year and i was really impressed with the mm. performance off-road and i'm about to go ride it in morocco so i'll be yeah. heading to africa and using it's the just thing there. i mean that's gonna be such a cool place to bring that bike because again it's just like you it, it looks like a rally bike yeah and there's a and reason, it feels like a rally bike yeah and there's a reason why the rally bikes you know that 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 style and the ergonomics of that transitions so well to adventure riding because that's really what do. these guys are doing but at a, at a at a competitive level that's right and super cool yeah so desert x gets our 2023 adventure motorcycle of the year who knows what 2024 will hold mm. there's a lot of new stuff coming out uh, that I think will be really interesting on the adventure bike space as well. Yeah, people are really attacking KTM. Like they KTM are. was like really on top for a while. Yeah, I'm going to say in the era of like the 1090, 1190. Oh yeah, for sure. And now you have Triumph that's come out with kind of something similar to the Desert X. Mm-hmm. You've got Ducati coming out with stuff. Like it's it's an interesting space. And Triumph has got a a bunch of models you know yeah. they've got all these rally pros and and the the triumph bikes are actually really great like it, i really it's, i it's like them better than the bmws right now i i i also kind of think that there's less and less interest in the motorcycle space generally like mm-hmm. I, i've kind of noticed that at least with my group of, of friends and and i talk to people about it on how i mean bikes are just a lot more work and cars mm-hmm. are so good these days like yeah. it used to be Traveling on a bike was so much cheaper, and I don't know if that's necessarily the case anymore. You're more reliant on your friend group's just gotten a little older. Yeah, maybe that's what's (laughs) happening. Oh, Oh. yeah, because I mean, adventure bikes are still a growing segment within motorcycle. One of the few growing segments within motorcycle. I just like I never see anybody other than people my dad's age on motorcycles these Mm. days. I also live in a retirement town that may have something to do with it. Yeah, and I think you're right overall. I think that I think that a lot of of people just aren't getting out as much yeah. as they used to, and I think it's because you know, all of not to get on a soapbox, but like the social media platforms are really good at commanding people's attention. Mm. And so people have they've kind of lost the connection with actually doing the things. Yeah. And you know, I was thinking about it this last year is you know, talking about traveling isn't traveling. Mm-hmm. You know, buying stuff to put on your vehicle to travel isn't traveling. Um, you know, going on a forum and talking about travel or, or going on Instagram and following travelers isn't traveling. Like all of those things, they give us this 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 Connection feeling yeah. of travel and the excitement and maybe like the possibility that travel will happen and all the excitement that comes from that. But the real reward in life comes from the actual doing of the things. We have to do the things Definitely. in order to learn, in order to grow, in order to actually have the experiences that result in memories. So like we're going to forget about all the things that we saw on Instagram. But when we actually get out on that motorcycle, no matter what it is, a KLR, Desert X, whatever it may be, when we get out and we actually have the experience and we're in the dust and we're picking the bike up and we're cold or we're hot or yeah. whatever, like that's the stuff you never forget. Yeah. So soapbox. Mm. (laughs) So let's talk about new stuff coming in 2024 that we're super excited about. Mm, Yeah. Land Cruiser. Yeah. The new Land Cruiser, the new GX 550. Mm -hmm. Very excited about both of those. The pricing came out on the, on the, the over trail and it's a little more expensive than I, I mean, it's a Lexus and inflation and all this stuff that's going on. It's actually made me more interested in 
where the 250 is going to sit. Yeah. So I think that that's indicated around like high 40s, low 50s. Uh huh. Yeah. And it has a less expensive drivetrain, little yeah. lower content overall. You know what I hope happens is is that like what are they going to do with the Forerunner? That's the big question. Like mm-hmm. when that Land Cruiser comes out, because it it is the replacement for the Forerunner in my mind. Yeah. You know, just like the, the I mean it's in theory it's the same chassis, right? It's it's you that's know right. the, the the forerunner was on a Prado one fifty. That's right. This is a Prado two fifty that does not have Prado badging in the US. Exactly. So So that'll be really interesting to see what happens there. I mean, it kind of makes me remember the you know, the launch of the Defender. Like the new Defender is the best discovery that Land Rover has ever made. Yeah. We didn't actually get a Defender. We got a great version of a Discovery, and people make the mistake of expecting it to be a classic Defender, and it's not. Yeah. So um, I think it's the same thing with with the Forerunner. My fear is just like, are they going to make it some mild hybrid like like crossover? I just don't like let it let it go like let it go. You know, <laughs> do not yeah. don't like don't. It's it's an interesting Pathfinder the thing. Please. It's an interesting conversation because they they could take it the removable hardtop yes. runner Jeep kind of competitor. Could you imagine? That would be super cool. Um, they could also, you know, they could, and this would be the bad thing, is they could look at who actually buys Forerunners. They sell a lot of them, right? And I think that... Qu- yeah, quarter million Forerunners. Yeah, they're, 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 I think, if I'm going to stereotype, there's somebody that wants a little bit more than a crossover these days. Right. They want something that's a little trucky feeling. Right. They want something that's durable and reliable. And unfortunately, like a lot of that kind of overlaps with crossover these days. Um, does it, does the, does the person who's actually the bulk of the people who are actually buying a forerunner, do they benefit from a land cruiser body on frame chassis? Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I think I mean a lot of the people that I know that own Forerunners, they they appreciate the authentic nature of the car. Yeah, uh, they're not they're smart people that aren't going to be swayed by some marketing gimmick. Mm. <clears throat> you know, putting a TRD Pro badge on a Highlander doesn't make it an an Overland vehicle. Yeah, so yeah, <clears throat> it's 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 interesting because there's there's just like Forerunner people out there. Oh yeah, you know they're they're kind of a they tend to be really good folks. Like yeah. overall, the, like there's there's like not the douchey category of yeah. forerunner hmm. owner. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, and it's super. It's a super popular vehicle in our space. Yeah, I mean, we just gave it the number one on our top ten list. So. It's still a great choice. I mean, it is so outdated. Like, yeah, five speed automatic still. Yeah, I mean, like I remember when five speed was like, whoa, it's got a five speed. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, now it's just like. It's because they could. Yeah. It's because they continued to sell them in like massive numbers. Yeah. And I think it's because it's a good car for a lot of people. I really do. So, all right. Um, Quartermaster is coming. Yes, that's right. And that's kind of cool. So uh, if you don't know what the Quartermaster is, it's it's from Ineos. I mean, it's going to be the Grenadier Quartermaster, I believe. And it's kind of a, you know, of similar ilk to like a Gladiator. Yeah. Like what the Wrangler, Gladiators to Wrangler, this will, the Quartermaster will be to the yep. Gladiator. Um, 
on paper, it looks really good. Yeah, payload numbers look good. Could yeah. be pushing up close to 2,000 pounds of payload. Yeah, very much that kind of Defender 130 vibe, like yep. down to the fact that my biggest gripe with it with the 130 was that it didn't have a spare tire like either mounted underneath or on the back or something and it just takes up you want to put a camper in it sure where's your tire go yeah you want to put a bunch of stuff in the bed where does the tire go sure um that's my only gripe with the quartermaster so far but um it looks really cool it does. I think it's got a lot of potential. It's probably one of the vehicles that I'm most interested in because yeah. I still haven't decided what I want my next project to be because I'm still spending a lot of time in Africa. So I don't <laughs> need, I don't really need a yeah. project car yet, but like I want to have a project car for 2024. So it's it's definitely I'm thinking you know, Quartermaster, Gladiator. I yeah, just you don't know. You talk about the Gladiator a lot. Yeah. I mean, the Quartermaster There's a lot. is more you. For sure. I agree. I agree. There's something about a Gladiator with a normally aspirated V6 and a six-speed manual transmission yeah, that, is cool. that has a lot of appeal to me. It would probably be the last manual transmission car I'll ever be able to buy. So there's something about me that really likes the idea of, and if you spec it out, like you can get a Gladiator with a V6 and a manual transmission and a hard top still has a Dana 44 axle in the rear, a lighter duty Dana 44 in the front compared to a Rubicon, but 1700 pounds of payload. And they're like 42, 43 grand. Like yeah, that discounting the heck out of them right now. It's crazy numbers. It's like really interesting solution. Yeah. I think it's one of the cars I've kept the longest was the gladiator. Um, they're phenomenal off road. That's put my a, thought. You put a 37 inch tire. It's going to meet my expectations off. And there, there are so many widgets and parts available for them. Yep. So anything you want to do, you can do to it. Yep. Um, you know, my, my problem with the gladiator is, you know, I, uh, I, I want to be, you know, a little unique snowflake and there's just so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> there are, there are, especially in Prescott. They're like oh, on every, every so corner many. It's for like, sure. It's like sell your house in Southern California. Yeah. Pay cash for something in Prescott and, and buy something. a gladiator. And then trade your Mercedes <laughs> into the Jeep dealer. <laughs> so true. Or they That's get, so or they get long bed dualies and they try and park on the square. Yeah. That's annoying. Yeah, it is. That's why they give a lot of tickets out on the square. All right. So let's talk about what we kind of see as being the the 2023 Overland product of the year. Um, It's really easy to kind of want to give it to something like, for example, like the Dometic water system is really impressive. Um, It's it's one of the best new, new, new product releases that I've seen in a long time. But the game changer for overlanding in 2023 was Starlink going mobile. Yeah, They have mobile units. They have low-profile units now. Um, Matt's been using a high-performance mobile unit on oh, his Earthroamer with great so success. Good. So I, I get faster internet when I travel than I do at home. Yeah. I mean, we can... I, I'm going to say 100 megabytes a second going down the road. Yeah. You know, at... Well, 68 mile an hour, because that's as fast as the tires are rated for. Um, it, and it just works so good. Like, and, and I've really noticed from the start of the year to the end of the year, more satellites are going up. Yep. And I mean, even using it in like trees and like kind of wooded areas, like you, you, you can point it through a forest and it's maybe it's not going to be 100% connected, but it's enough. 
it gets better and better. And then, so there's a, there's a, a domestic mobile plan, which is at about 80 bucks a month or something. Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. $120 a month, excuse me. And then there is a global mobile plan, which means it works everywhere that Starlink's work. Star, Starlink has a signal, and uh, which doesn't mean that you can legally use it in those countries. It's really important to know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and that is $150 a month. And that's what I've been using in Africa. And, you know, Starlink is now sold in Mozambique, it's sold in Eswatani, it's sold in uh, Tanzania, it's sold in Kenya, it's, mm. it, like, it's available, it's, a big deal. it's sold in, in, in Zambia, like you can get Starlink now in Africa and it's legal to use it. So, you know, there's obviously some concerns that have been voiced around like, how do you take it over the borders? It's, it's legal to use it. Hmm. Like they're sold in the country. They're not a controlled item. Now, when I, I can't take it into Ethiopia, so I brought it back with me. So like there are countries where you can't take it in legally and I didn't want to risk it. So I'm yeah. um, not going to have it for this next leg. But um, most of Africa, it, you, you can't buy it in South Africa, but it's not a controlled item in South Africa. So you can, you can use it in South Africa mm-hmm. too with great success. So Namibia, Botswana. It, it just works like I, I, I keep having like internet outages in my house and I just want to, I just want to like cut the cord. Yeah. And go full Starlink. You know, that's what my dad has on the ranch out really? there. Yeah. He runs Starlink 24 <laughs> seven and just, it, it has never not worked. That's awesome. Yeah. It's so yeah. easy. So, yeah, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier, you know, there are some downsides to Starlink, Yeah, you know, um, and it's not necessarily related to performance or, and cause I don't even think the cost is that much. Honestly, I had like a crazy 5g, uh, cradle point thing in the earth roamer before the Starlink and the data plan that you need for that was the same price. Yeah. You know, it's and expensive. it barely worked. Um, you have to be judicious with your use because you can, you have to remember that we do this to a degree to get away and we do it to experience places. You know, I, I, yeah, the always on thing is tough. Yeah. I, I hardwired mine and I did hardwire it with a switch and, uh, it's very easy for me to press that switch. And as I switch to lithium batteries and energy is just no longer a concern it's been left on more yeah. and more and more. And I find myself in these beautiful places, you know, we, like a month or so ago, we were at Muley Point in, in, in Utah. It's a beautiful, one of just one of the most spectacular places on the planet that you can camp. Yeah. Um, and I'm sitting there on my phone and my wife, Laura is sitting there on her phone and we're not talking, you know, we're just absorbed in our phones because, you know, when you, when you're just in normal day to day life, like I think everybody's pretty good. I mean, you're pretty good. I'm not the worst, but people are just absorbed on their phones. Yeah. Like, I mean, there, your, your brain doesn't stand a chance against like trillion dollar company psychologists yeah. That's right. trying to get your attention. Right. And you, you have to just turn it off. You know, uh, 
there, there's times w- previously when I just had the regular Starlink and I'd had to put it out and, and set it up and I didn't have lithium batteries. So like I had to turn it off at night and I right. actually then disconnected. And you got I'm, better sleep and everything else. Yeah. Where I'm finding now, like no matter where I'm at, it just works and I'm always connected. Yep. You can't just like disappear into the, into the woods, so to speak, and shut off. You, you then you now have to have the control of and 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 the cognizance to turn the dang thing off yeah like if you work remotely have office hours yeah you know you, you fire your the, phone's you, gonna ring that's the thing is like all uh, these days everything's voice over ip yeah, or right. whatever right so you're in the middle of nowhere your phone rings your text messages come in i mean it is ju- it is seamless yeah to being in the real world. And it was even the same in Africa. And that was, it was capped at 10 megabits a second, but still like 10 megabits going down, down the road in the middle of Africa, dodging potholes with like perfect broadband internet. Yeah. You know, so it, it was really important for me to shut it off. And I think it was one of the things that I did in 2023 that I most, that I learned the most from was I spent about eight weeks without a smartphone. I, yeah, I used maybe. what was called a light phone. And the light phone, it was, it had a lot of challenges, like particularly around travel. It just doesn't work. You can't hail an Uber and it doesn't work internationally. So, um, but what I did do is I took all of the social media apps off of my phone. Yeah. I did that for a while. That's the first thing. I'm really grateful that I did that. I still am on social media, but I go on to an iPad mini. Actually, I happen to have it right here. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I have Instagram and everything else. But I, I only go on it at certain times in the day. It, it is so easy, remember, to, to delete these apps. Yeah. They don't want you to delete them, but they really want you to, to yeah. bring them back on your phone. Yeah. And I don't know, like when I get stressed with business or life or whatever, first thing I do is I, I delete the Instagram app. Because yeah. it immediately gives me back hour a bunch of time that's a lot of time well and i mean they say that the average american's on their phone for five and a half hours a day yeah like think about that people don't know how to be a whole lot of life that's a whole lot of life that's gone i I don't know how to be yeah a couple soap boxes today i like yeah all right so um what's a year in review yeah exactly so then what what were some of your favorite products from the year Mm. i bought a really cool watch that I like, yeah. and it's 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 maybe a little bit obscure. It's not. I've kind of. I'm not saying I'm tired of like the. You know, like there's these kind of Grail watches, like the you know the Rolexes and mm-hmm. the Omegas and that kind of stuff. Like everybody, I'm not saying everybody has them. You know, they're. It's a place of privilege to have one of these things, but I wouldn't say that they're unique. When you, when you find out that they make tens of millions of Rolexes a year, yeah, it. it um, like I said, I like to be a little snowflake. So I've gotten really into, into classic and kind of, uh, what maybe they call them a, a vintage modern Porsche design watches. Cause I'm a Porsche geek. Anybody that listens to this knows that I am. Um, but there's this watch called the compass Ur, and it's basically a watch that, um, you know, Porsche design developed, um, shortly after uh, kind of Porsche and Porsche design went their own ways and, and they weren't, the Porsche family wasn't working for the company anymore. Um, it was designed for hunters and it has a, an actual compass in the bottom and it has a signaling mirror and it actually folds up 
Ah, yeah. And it's really, really cool. Um, that I have an original one and I have a reissue. I wear the reissue because it's all titanium. The original ones are made of like Delrin and they're pretty fragile. Um, but you can take the compass out, you can put it on a map. And when you're just kind of like, it, it, to me, it's like this analog Garmin watch. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. you really like your Garmin watch. I do, I mean, yeah. I, I think they're great watches too. I have one. Um, but it, it's just like me and a watch. You know, I like sports cars and I like exploring and it's yeah. got the watch and the little signaling mirror. I mean, even though I just like usually use the mirror to make sure I don't have like chocolate on my face, <laughs> but it's actually incredibly useful. Um, so that was, that was my favorite kind of like, I do think there's a lot of advantage to an analog watch. Yeah. It's another way of disconnecting. It's the reason why I like the Garmin over an Apple watch is that I, the only notification that I get on the Garmin is if a phone call is coming through, which I yeah. find useful because I don't always have my phone on me. Yeah. So, um, but there's a lot to be said for an analog watch. I mean, it's, it's the one like piece of jewelry that a guy will typically wear yeah. is a watch. So for it to connect in with a brand that you love being Porsche and, and this one's got a compass, which is along travel lines. I mean, yeah. that, I get it. Like, I think that analog watch, there's a lot of advantages to, to analog watches, I think, in, in my mind. All right, what else do you got on your list? Mm, I bought the new Leica M11. Yeah? I've been shooting rangefinders now for 12 years. And uh, here's the interesting thing about these cameras is they are ridiculously expensive. But they don't depreciate in the same way that, you know, let's say a Canon DSLR will. Sure. As soon as a Canon DSLR, like I, I bought a, the last, the last DSLR or Canon camera I bought was like a 5D Mark IV. I mean, it's a doorstop now. You know, I still paid $3,500 for it. It's, I don't know how old those things are, what they're old. They're old. Yeah. Five, six years old now. But it's. It's, it's worthless. Like I have a five or six year old M10 rangefinder that I paid. I always buy them used, right? So I paid probably 4,500 bucks for, and I could probably get four grand for it today. So when you, when you've been in this hobby for a long time of these Leica cameras and rangefinders and particularly the lenses, because any photographer will tell you the body is kind of disposable. Um, it's the lenses that you really want to invest in. So I have lenses like one of my favorite lenses is a 40 millimeter Summicron. It's actually not technically for an M, but it's interchangeable. I paid like $400 for that lens. At the time, it was like the cheapest that you could get. Well, now they're like $1,500 to $2,000 in good condition because Leica continually raises their prices. Right. And everything from like the 50s to present is interchangeable. They, ha- they don't every couple of years build in obsolescence to it. Yeah, they've got so some class as a this company. This new M11, I think it's actually like a Sony A7. Yeah, same sensor as it's in my yeah, camera. It's 60 yeah. megapixels, backside illuminated. Um, it has phenomenal, uh, you know, uh, dynamic range. It, I mean, it, it it is rated as the best sensor that you can get in a 35 millimeter camera. It is it is up there and competing Amazing. with medium format cameras. And like, as I've always been like, so behind on this stuff, like great lenses, interesting shooting experience. Like the sensors were always, if we're being honest, like they were okay. They were okay. Yeah. You know, they were overpriced. This is the first camera from them that like from the first time I used it, I'm like, wow, they've really got this figured out. Yeah. They've integrated the live view shooting very nicely. There's a button, um, 
that allows you just instantly magnifies and you can touch on the screen and it'll magnify to there, which is really handy with the rangefinder because you can only focus in the center. Um, if you don't know what a rangefinder is, you're basically aligning uh, lines. You're, you're literally taking two images through mirrors and you're you're overlapping them until they until they match. You have a, a monochrome, you get it. Um, this this thing is actually phenomenal. Um, and it's a great way to shoot. And I think it it the reason why rangefinders have always resulted in such exceptional photographs is that the photo, the photographer has to be very engaged in the yeah. process. Yeah. Um, you have to be present. And yeah. I enjoy the act of taking images with it um, because the reality these days is that your phone is the most successful, best camera that you can have on you. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just always there. So that's what you always use. Um, and as a result, a lot of the photographs end up looking the exact same. Yeah. So if you're trying to be a little more creative, um, I just, this thing is, is yeah, wonderful. they're cool. Yeah. They're um, really cool. It, and always buy them used is my advice. I bought this one. It, it was unused, honestly. Like there's people that will just buy these things, like just rich idiots that just collect these things and never use them. And then the next one, They'll always do like a P version, sure, which has like a sapphire screen, but it'll <laughs> be the same. And then they everybody sells their other ones. So I always buy it like eighteen months in, sure. And you can get, you know, like several thousand dollars off. It's a lot of money, and you know. But then you keep it, and you keep it in decent condition. I mean, I usually mine will have some brassy in or whatever on it because actually there's parts of it that are literally brass. This one's aluminum, but. Um, they kind of just keep going up and, you know, they keep raising the price. So yeah. then in a couple of years, when you go to get the next one, you're not, you don't have a doorstop. You don't have a doorstop. Yeah. So I think that's maybe the, the hard thing for people that they're like, wow, that's really, really expensive. Cause they are like eight. Well, or it's nine expensive grand. the first time you buy it. Yeah. And then if you continue to upgrade and use it throughout a lifetime, then it's probably not that yeah, expensive. You know, it, it costs you in my experience, cause this is my fifth, I've had an M8, M9, M240, M10, you know, fifth rangefinder. Maybe a thousand dollars every every three four years. Yeah. And I don't think that I generally I genuinely do not think that you could shoot a a, a, a Canon DSLR or mirrorless or whatever for that amount of money. Yeah, because they go from being expensive to doorstops. Three or four grand now to yeah nothing. for sure yeah exactly. And a special thanks to O3 Outdoors for their support of this week's podcast. The world is messy. That's the price every outdoorsman pays for adventure. So when we need to keep things fresh, well, we at O3 Outdoors don't just do things halfway. We turn to the same technology NASA uses to clean the space station, and we bring it down to our own frontier. You know the smells, the sweat, smoke, and fuel, the smells of a proper adventure. The stuff of a true outdoorsman knows firsthand. Our technology here at O3 Outdoors eliminates bacteria and odors on gear or in your homes and on your vehicles. Our Trekker bags allow you to pack, store, and carry your gear, cleaning it the entire time. Our portable Overlander units fit in any vehicle, home, or RV. It's the highest tech brought to you to the outdoor experience, keeping your gear fresh from one frontier to another. For more information, visit o-3outdoors.com. O3 Outdoors, go explore. 
so I've rambled on my pretentious, snobby <laughs> gear tastes. Do you want? Yeah, but I love your gear taste. Do you want to ramble about? That's why your we're buddies. That's why we're snobby gear taste. That's why we're buddies. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because mine somehow didn't end up pretentious as pretentious, so um, as mine mine normally does. But and I think I think a lot of it's because I've just been very much in a travel mode this yeah. year. Um, and so I've, I've really liked the Garmin watch. I've had the Apple watch and I do have quite a few analog watches. Like I have my dad's vintage Seiko Pogue that I really love. Uh, but I've been wearing the Garmin a lot because I do use it for tracking fitness. And I also, I like it for travel cause it does mm-hmm. have a GPS built into it. Um, Backup. it, which is some redundancy that I like. Uh, so I've got the the Phoenix Sapphire, and you know it's kind of it's a little bit understated. You've got the big one. I do. It's pretty. It's pretty good size, um, which is fine. I'm a bigger guy, so you, it kind of swallows it a little bit. But um, I put kind of like a fun NATO style band yeah. on it, um, so it doesn't look quite as techy as because I don't really like the techy version. The problem of with the, the the regular one is it almost stretches. It's on weird. You yeah, it's kind weird. Of gets sweaty. Yeah, and and actually, like gets yeah sweaty and scratchy and itchy yeah. and yeah. But I do like this NATO band, and that has a light built into it, right? It does, and actually, so yeah. So when I first got it, I think I posted something on it, and Gianni, a mutual friend of ours, uh, he's like, "Dude, you're gonna love the light." And I'm like, "What?" And he's he's like, "I'm telling you, you're gonna love the light." <laughs> and sure enough, like I use the light all the time it's on the like watch. Your flashlight, yeah, on your phone. Yeah, except the, the cool thing is, is that it's on your wrist, so you you actually have your hands free. Oh, so okay. you know, it, even though it's not maybe flashing directly onto the object, there's enough ambient light that's created mm. from it where you're able to use both hands. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, so it's actually it's super cool. I I do like the I forgot about the light. You're right that the light's really useful. Um, I, I've also really liked the new Dometic water system. We talked about that earlier, but I think they just nailed it with that it's three and a half gallons for the jug so the jugs are lighter easier to handle they're also perfectly square and they tend to store really well easily um i like the usb charged um faucet so that i think it's a really clever system uh, and i've used it a lot personally yeah. so i do i do like that um i also have really enjoyed uh, red arc makes a like a comprehensive solar blanket uh, package that includes uh, the solar charge controller and alligator clips, and I use oh, that. Oh, that's kind of cool. I use that on with the uh, Grenadier in in uh, in Africa, and I just it's just the right size for the windscreen, so it goes across the windscreen, and it keeps my fridge running, it keeps mm. the Starlink running if I've got that going. Um, it also gave me some a little bit more confidence just in case I accidentally left accessories on or drain the battery yeah, you just hang out for a little bit and it'll start that's right so which i'm traveling as a solo vehicle so for me it was kind of an important redundancy mm-hmm. uh to have that yeah the red arc stuff's really nice yeah i think they do a nice job with it um yeah and i just like brought it over in my in my check bag <laughs> it yeah. was just like super easy um and then i've really i have really liked this um explorer trailer x145 it's the best trailer. I'm not a huge fan of trailers, mm. but it's the best trailer that I've ever used, and it has kind of become my Earthroamer. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've spent 
probably and you kind of like sometimes you live in it when you come I do, back from Africa. I do. I probably got a hundred nights. Yeah. In that thing, and it's got a dry bath, like a big shower. It's got a, a you know the toilet system. I'm not a huge fan of. It's like it's one like of a those dry bath. It's or a wet bath. No, it's dry. So the oh, shower is totally separate from the toilet. A uh, big bathroom in the v- very back of it. Um, double bed um, has a thousand and eighty amp hours of lithium, which is crazy because it's not. Which means you can run the air conditioner like all the time. Yeah, so and it has like a thousand watts of solar. Thousand too. watts of solar, so yeah. you can you can run the Dometic air conditioner. Oh, and it's a, is it the twelve volt? Yeah, that's right. See, that's it's interesting because those only pull like I think it's between thirty and fifty mm-hmm. amps DC. That's right, and a thousand watts of solar will sustain that that's right so like your like glide ratio so to speak is tremendous which means you can run it through the night yeah when it's hot Mm -hmm. um and it's also only a 15 foot box so it's not a lot of space and this explorer trailer company um they and they're not an advertiser it's just like it's i just happen to really like the product um the the explorer company trailer company uh, Imperial Outdoors, they make ice fishing trailers. So like that's mm-hmm. where they got, they cut their teeth. Yeah, it's four season. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's well a true insulated. four season inside. It's yeah. a true four season trailer. It also has, um, heating blankets on the gray water and the main water tanks that run off the lithiums yeah. and keeps the system from freezing. That's nice. So it, yeah, it's, it's super, and it's got, uh, you know, a, a proper Australian style, um, you know, suspension system system on it, airbag suspension system on it. So it actually does pretty well off road, hmm. and it's not that heavy, five thousand pounds. So it'll yeah. tow behind most. You could vehicles. do it behind a Wrangler. That's right, exactly. So there's there's a lot that I like about that trailer. I I'm kind of kind of become a fan. Yeah, <laughs> become a fan of that one. All right, man. Well, you know, we're kind of coming to the end here, but I think um, what are you excited about? for 2024 what kind of trip are you excited to do in 2024 i haven't actually figured out what i'm gonna do as far as a trip um i i'm i'm interested in the canadian rockies yeah um that's not something i want to do in the summer that's probably more of a end of fall trip when there's less less people there sure um see the aurora yeah pacific northwest is on my on my radar i've always kind of driven through that area and i haven't spent any significant time there nice um it's so gorgeous up there and it's so different from arizona i like it up there um, yeah. yeah i really liked oregon i i really i really like that our next stuff that we're going to be doing honestly is is ski camping you know the roamer same thing all the heated tanks and it's so comfortable and so well insulated yeah um you know and hotels have just gone like insanely expensive that um, you know, a lot of the resorts in New Mexico, some of them in Utah and Wyoming and Montana, they allow you to camp in the parking lot. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so, you know, it, it can be a semi affordable way to, um, you know, go to some really nice spots. Well, yeah. Cause <laughs> the, the challenge for the winter is that we live in the place where everybody travels in the winter, like yeah. Arizona, you know, the Southwest, the, the low desert. Um, I mean, it's obviously been a warm and dry winter, but for so many years we've, we've, you know, we've gone down to the Sonoran desert or we've mm-hmm. gone to Baja or, you know, Southern California, that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of trying something different now that we have the ability to, 
I love it. Keep us and the Greyhound warm. I love it. Yeah, yeah, winter camping is pretty fun. I For me, I'm just really excited. Well, you're, you're in the middle of an Africa trip. Duh. Yeah, I'm just really excited <laughs> to finish up this trip. I've got Ethiopia next, and that's become, you know, it's a real logistical challenge to get the vehicle in there, but I think I've got it solved. Um, and then into Djibouti to ship the vehicle, but that's a real challenge because of the conflict right now um, in, in, in the Red Sea and that region of the world. So, um, who knows, like it could be a lot more of a challenge when I finally get there in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, but I'm about ready to go to Morocco and ride the new Ducati. So I'm excited about that That'd too. So motorcycle press launches are usually no joke. Yeah. There'll be people like us that can kind of ride a bike. And then there's like some like test rider that, you know, at age three was doing backflips. Yeah. And I'm glad that they, that those folks exist because every once in a while you do get someone on a press launch that didn't answer the questions honestly. Mm. And there's usually someone that's going to the hospital every press launch. Um, so yeah, you can't fake it. Like yeah. four wheel drive journalists fake it a lot. They don't actually know how to drive off road, but the cars are so good that they somehow survive. And they have like the best trainers in the world. Yeah. Like, telling them yeah, by millimeter exactly. where to go. Whereas on a motorcycle, you can't fake it. You got to either ride it or, you go yeah. to the hospital. Heavy bike and sand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we got there, we have reached out uh, a couple times on the podcast to small businesses uh, to please always reach out to Matt and I. We want to support small businesses in yeah, the industry. Really it's really important. Uh, we love seeing people come up with new ideas. So this one's actually kind of fun. It's called Radio Chatter, and it is for when you're going overlanding and you you want to you know, strike up a conversation over the radio, maybe with people that you don't know that well. And it's got, it's kind of like, you know, the dating cards or whatever the ones you, <laughs> you but it's, it's all these different questions. So I'm going to ask Matt a couple questions oh, here. Okay. So, um, know about this. okay. So th- this is, um, what other hobbies or activities have you incorporated into your travels? Bird watching. <laughs> nice. That's right. Ornithology. I like that. Hmm. Seems like eating became yeah, a good hobby. I mean, yeah, eating, I don't do the cooking. Um, Laura's very <laughs> talented. So yeah, eating. Um, oh, geez. <sighs> photography. Yeah, yeah. Always photography. But bird watching is the, uh, maybe the unexpected one. Yes, that's right. Okay. And it seems, it seems to be a thing with, with Overlanders, a little bit of ornithology. Maybe so. another one. All right, here's another one. Uh, what piece of gear has been the biggest disappointment for you? Ooh, I mean, should I answer that one honestly? Yes. Uh, Red Arc Red Vision system, just constantly like something would rattle loose or like little screws that held in the clips would, something would go or if, it was just too complicated for the, the, the application. Yeah. So yeah. good for a trailer, but yeah, I mean, maybe just not. Instantly. Yeah. I mean, they, like they make good stuff and now they have like a smaller version. Yeah. But you know, there was a period where like every like Instagram influencer was putting this like system meant for a trailer in the back of their forerunner and then you think it's a good idea and it was a terrible one unequivocally that good yeah so these are pretty cool well i mean you're it's it's super important that we're always honest about the products that we use yeah and some companies make great solutions and sometimes the solution doesn't work out Uh, but this is really clever so i want to pick one for you okay do it what hair care products do you use when you overland? (laughs) (laughs) 
No, the, act, the, the, the actual one is, what is your go-to camping area? Oh, my go-to camping area. In in North America, I would say it's Southern Utah. Oh, I really like. So I really do. Oh, it's terrible, it's, actually. Don't go there. <laughs> and it's really easy to get there from here. Uh, That's so, cool. That's a really cool. Yeah, thing. isn't that a neat thing? So yeah, so uh, that. yeah, check out Radio Chatter. Uh, they're on Instagram and all of the things. Um, and then uh, Brian Wilmert, who I've worked with on some projects uh, with GM, he's uh, started another little business um, making spices. So it's Detroit barbecue, Willie B's. Okay. Detroit barbecue, and it's I've not. This is a, a an unboxing at the same time, but you know it's got a cool little very overlandy looking bag. Yeah, that's nice. Um, and then you open it up here, and it's got a whole bunch of spices. So it's got Bayou problems. It's got <laughs> it's got smoky meat and uh, kiss and slap. There's a whole bunch. I like there's, it. A, there's a whole bunch of different barbecue seasonings uh, in a nice little. Yeah, a lot of uses for that too, because generally people just like don't bring seasonings or anything yeah. with them. When yeah, they and it's and it's in a cool little little bag, and it's designed and made by an overlander that's really passionate about our industry. So nice job on this, Brian. So check this out, Willie B's barbecue like seasoning kit, which is kind of cool. And then uh, last couple things here. We actually had some comments on on Instagram, and one of them that I, I really wanted to 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 talk about here, and I'm not going to mention his name, but it, it's important. Um, it, he says, "Hey man, I've been debating on sending you this for a while, and I'm not even sure you'll see it, but um, which we do try to read every comment that we get on Instagram as a DM." But I wanted to thank you for what you do uh, from your podcast to the Overland Journal. Um, this has been, this has helped me immensely for a bit. I was in a pretty dark spot, but I would always try to come back to at least your podcast. And it's helped me continue to push on because of my want to see the world like you have. So once again, thank you for the work and for giving me a goal that I truly want to reach. So um, first of all, thank you for reaching out and um, I've been able to communicate with him since then. But for those of you that are struggling, um, if there is anything that Matt and I can do to support you, uh, life can get dark for folks. Um, and there is help. There's people that love you. Um, and, uh, so please reach out if there is something that we can do to support you. Um, you know, stay in contact with people in your life. Um, but you know, life can get challenging. And and I think also just always remember that the, the world that you see people live on the internet is generally not their world. Right. You know, it, it's a curated view of it. Like, yeah, it, you get I mean, the highlight reel and, and it's okay to, it's okay to say that, you know, you're down or you're, you're having some problems. Like I, I've gone through that, Yeah, you know, and talking to people and just being open about it helps so much. Yeah. We really need to have those people that we trust close yeah. to us, um, that we can do that. So, and here's a, another question from Ryan. Uh, he says, <laughs> I love, I love his question. Uh, I wanted to get some advice from someone with actual experience, if you don't mind, which I, I mean, I do have some actual experience around this topic that he's asking about, but it says, I plan to take my first longish overland trip to Baja from Kentucky in my tundra. I hear nothing but amazing things about Baja and I am super excited to see it for myself. Uh, though my close family and friends, um, who he puts in parentheses have never been there, uh, think we'll be kidnapped and skinned alive. Um, Mm. it will be just my wife, 
dog and myself? Uh, should I be concerned about traveling to Baja alone? So Matt and I can share our personal experiences. I have never had even the smallest issue of any kind in any part of Mexico, including all of mainland, all the way down through the Yucatan and uh, Mexico City and everything else. I mean, I've, I've had to pay some questionable traffic tickets mm. um, and I did get extorted a little bit by the police in Mexico City, but I never feared for my life. I never felt like that I was unsafe, but there are some basic principles that you want to employ uh, it's, it is fine to travel alone. I've done a bunch of solo trips in Baja. Uh, but if you're traveling solo, like just you and your family in a vehicle, stick to more traveled routes where you'll come across other travelers. If you have a problem. Yeah. There's um, a lot of people in Baja. These that's days. right. There's a lot of vehicle based travelers down there. Bring along something like a spot device or a Garmin inReach so that you can communicate if you have an issue, if you have a mechanical problem. Obviously, he's driving a Tundra, so he's probably not going not yeah. to have any issues at all. Um, and then really avoid driving at night. Um, yeah, just don't do it. Just don't do it. And it's not because it's like the banditos come out at night, which is maybe true, but it's more like donkeys in the road, drunks in the road, drunks driving on the highway. Um, Cows. Cows and the roads have basically no shoulder, so there's a high degree of risk driving yeah. at at night. Keep the vehicle speed low. Drive during the day. Don't drive fatigued, um, and then just have a great time because Baja's wonderful. The food's amazing. Yeah. The people are amazing. Yeah, I mean, I the only time that I've had an issue was when I broke my rule and I drove at night, and I don't even know if it was an issue. I'm not even. It felt like an it. issue, though. It felt like an issue. Yeah. Um, and that was really easily avoidable. I was, I was trying to drive from South of Loretto to North of San Felipe in one day and gas station wasn't open, you know? Yep. Um, so you have to wait for the gas station to be open. Um, you know, it's, it's fine. Like it's yeah. like, I think that you, I think that you have to be diligent, you know, like I, the, maybe where I do differ on, on the Mexico thing is, you know, Statistically, Mexico has some issues, yeah. right? Um, you're going to be in an unfamiliar place, and um, you you don't need to be paranoid, but I do think that it is wise to not place yourself in situations that would make you uncomfortable because you may just get jumpy and then provoke something into happening. So if, if you're uncomfortable with the situation, remove yourself from the situation. Yeah. You know? Um, and then there's routes that are a little bit better. So, for yeah. example, if you were to stay on the Sia Cortez side, there's a lot more tourist traffic there. There's a lot more tourism infrastructure. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of a quieter route, especially down yeah. through Gonzaga Bay yeah. and all that. And that's all paved now. I mean, you could take a Ferrari paved. through that at 150 mile an hour. It's, yeah. it's a good road. Um, you know, Tijuana can have some issues. Yep. You know, like I, would I... Would I leave my Earth Roamer parked overnight in Tijuana? No. Yeah, but and there's so many U.S. cities that like you wouldn't do that in a I bunch of areas do, like in I'm, Phoenix. I'm from yeah. Chicago. Like I wouldn't. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of places there. You know, you're from the East Coast. Like there's dangerous places in the East Coast. Yeah. Dangerous places in the West Coast too. But anyway. Yeah. So drive during the day. Stick to the more traveled routes and have a bunch of tacos. Have a great time, and then reach back out when you do your trip. We'd love to see some photos and. Yeah. Uh, share some of your experiences from from the adventures. 
Um, I did get some other questions, but we're going to run out of time today. Please make sure that you reach out to Matt and I if you've got questions or you want to follow up with anything or you have suggestions. Like we know that we have a lot to learn still, even though we're at like 180 episodes now. <laughs> um, we have a lot to learn and we want to get better. We want the podcast to get better. Yeah. Um, I've not always nailed the audio and I apologize for that. That's not fa Paula's fault. It's usually me trying to record it someplace in the field um, and I've not done a great job of that. Um, so we're continuing to try to improve our audio and other Yeah, sometimes other it's hard are. to get Overland Travelers into a studio. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, it's dif <laughs> it's difficult. So, Matt, how do they how do they reach you? Um, I'm sporadically on Instagram at Matt Explore. Yep. And, and you're, you're scott.a.brady. That's me. So, uh, if you guys want to if you guys want to reach out with any questions or comments, and again, small businesses, please reach out. We'd love to work with you. Yeah. Um, uh, it's really fun for us to see you guys be successful and come up with cool ideas like radio chatter. So, cool. well, thanks, Matt. Appreciate your time. Awesome year. So yeah. now we got 2024 ahead of us. I'm It'll excited. Be a good one. Yeah. And we thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time.